0: Welcome to Psychology RadioCast, a service of the Pennsylvania Psychological Association. I'm your host, clinical psychologist Dr. David Zerung. In today's episode, licensed psychologists Dr. Allison Otto and Dr. Liz DeBoer discuss considerations when launching a group practice. Dr. Otto is a co-owner with her husband of Otto Psychological Associates. She shares helpful strategies from her own experience in transitioning from a solo to group practice. Conducted in an interview style, Dr. Otto outlines considerations regarding planning, organizing, startup costs, staffing, administrative support, allocations of resources, and optimizing performance and flow. She emphasizes the power of seeking consultation, mentoring, and support from other professionals in the field, and identifies tips for enlisting necessary resources. Dr. Otto and Dr. Liz discuss potential challenges and also provide proactive tips for achieving success in line with your goals. This podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended to diagnose or treat any disorders. Please do not apply any of this information without first speaking with a licensed health professional.
1: Hello and welcome to Psychology Radiocast by the Pennsylvania Psychological Association. I am Dr. Liz DeBoer, a licensed psychologist in the state of Pennsylvania, and I am here today so excited to introduce and interview my friend and colleague, Dr. Allison Otto. Welcome, Allison. Thank you for having me. Thank you for saying yes. I'm so excited (laughs) to have this conversation. Yeah. So we are going to be talking about how to, tips and consideration for opening a group practice in psychology. So before we get into the topic, I am going to read Allison's bio and and introduce you to her in that way. Um, And we are hoping to just share with you information, tips, considerations, strategies, ups and downs, and um, all the things about working, developing, um, owning a group practice in psychology. Dr. Allison Otto is a co-owner with her husband at Otto Psychological Associates in Allentown, Pennsylvania. She was previously an adjunct faculty member at Chestnut Hill College, where she also earned her doctoral degree. She has also been honored with the Early Career Psychologist of the Year Award from Pennsylvania Psychological Association and an award for her dissertation through the American Psychological Association's Society for Media Psychology and Technology. In addition to maintaining a private caseload, Dr. Otto is an expert forensic evaluator and leads a training program at her practice focusing on assessment. She is a member of multiple Pennsylvania Psychological Association committees, including the Membership Committee, Forensic Committee, and Child and Family Law Committee. Ooh, I love reading that. Thank you, um, Allison, And thank you again for coming. Um, I'm just going to turn it over to you and tell us a little bit about your journey as a psychologist, um, and also your journey into owning a group practice. Sure. Well, again,
2: thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Um, so I, I've been in group practice now for three and a half years. And of course, more than half of that has been during COVID. Mm. So it's been an interesting time for sure. Um, I know you built your group practice during COVID. And so I have to assume that some of what we've experienced as group practice owners and growing our businesses has also been unique to the time. Yes. Yes. We're in now. Um, but I was in private practice alone for a while before I started a group with my husband. Um, in fact, we were both in our own individual practices, which worked great because we each had a chance to really develop our own professional identities
0: mm.
2: independent of one another. Um, and, you know, not only our therapeutic style, but the types of people we wanted to work with and that we worked best with, how we structured and organized our own practices. Um, And so I think that was helpful to us so that when we did form our group, we each had those perspectives. And I think we also had the advantage of building on the experiences that we had in other group practices that we had either belonged to or trained with, um, or had experiences with as well as agencies, you know, I think um, there's, there's still a lot to be learned from a nonprofit agency in terms Mm -hmm. of how you how you want to operate things that work things that don't work you uh at least we developed an extreme aversion to paperwork (laughs) you know it's like (laughs) one of our one of our goals forever was thinking about making things as easy as possible so we uh we had always talked about someday forming a group and um and the timing was just right for us to do that and so we um put some feelers out there to other group practice owners um, and talked with them about their experiences. I remember uh, like Paul Delphin, for example, was so kind to talk to me about um, DGR and why I'm missing, um, that he has um, been with for quite a long time um, and the structure and the organization, things to keep in mind. Um, uh, and so many, I really, it's so many other psychologists, even through PPA, like through the listserv were helpful to me. Um, Bob Gordon, Pauline Wallen, um, uh, Richard small, like I can't even name them all. There were so many either that, uh, mentored me or counseled me in, um, the forming of our practice and things we wanted to consider.
1: I love that. I think really right off the bat, as we're going, it highlights some of the key tips that you that were helpful in forming the practice. Um, you know, really not just jumping in, but you and your husband had your own things going on, so you had a lot of experience independently had, I would say, maybe specialties as well, or at least special interests that you both, you said you both kind of came in. Obviously, there's overlap, um, Mm -hmm. but there's, you you came in with your own perspectives and made it a blend, which is really, really neat to hear. And then support from lots of different people, mentorship and lots of support.
2: Yeah. So many. And, you know, and as as we're talking about this too, I I remember an anecdote that Paul Delphin told me, which was so helpful, which was to think about, um, in terms of timeline, I remember he said, assume it's going to take about a year from the idea and commitment to your idea of a group practice to opening your practice, Mm. you know, in the building doors open, operational. And that was a good timeline for me, um, because it helped me wrap my mind around, okay, we have X number of months to secure furniture and to save money and to get contracts and, um, and walking through the order of things that had to be done. Um, you know, and I have to say PPA, I know this is a PPA podcast, but I have to give them so much credit (laughs) because um, if it weren't for PPA, if it weren't for the listserv, I think it would have been so much harder because PPA Mm -hmm. has so many practice resources and phenomenal people. You know, I think I probably still have like some of Sam Knapp's. Books on my shelf. He and I emailed probably a dozen times as I was setting up my practice. Um, You know, in thinking about all of the steps from what kind of structure you want to have your company be. So, for example, we are an LLC, how you want to file your taxes, Um, how, whether you want to use employees or contractors how to go about registering your name and getting the approval from the psychology board and, you know, all of then opening your bank account, you know, and all of the things you have to do in a particular order for that year or estimated year to run as smoothly
1: as it can. Yeah. I love that because it gives it, a, a broad long-term goal slash vision kind of concept. And mm-hmm. then it allows, it, it gets, puts a timestamp on it so that I know personally, I'm sometimes I'm like, I want it tomorrow. You know, you wanna jump in with both feet, but it, it does help to put that, that someone gave you that thought of, okay, think about a year and then you can break it down into the smaller chunks of time. in in order to do all of these things that you're talking about that could the considerations that go into forming the group practice and the, and the legality of it and, you know, dotting your I's and crossing your T's along the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And getting so many
2: different perspectives too, because there are so many different ways of doing things. And, and like I said, I had some phenomenal mentors and templates of, how things could look, but then adding to those perspectives along the way, right? So I had all of these people who really helped guide me in opening my practice. But then as I got more into specialty with forensics, you know, leaning on the people in the committees that I belong to with PPA, Mm -hmm. you know, like, for example, Steve Cohen has been a phenomenal mentor in um, just reviewing informed consents and um, and connecting with peers and colleagues to always talk about structure and ideas and this professional issue or this organizational issue um, as you're building and growing.
1: Yeah, and I love that, too, because I think sometimes as psychologists and helpers, sometimes we shy away from asking for help um, for for whatever reason that might be. But what you're saying is really that is a really important part of the process is reaching out for support, reaching out for consultation, supervision um, along the way, mentorship along the way. And I remember doing that, you know, both in Developing an independent practice and then also you <laughs> I have to give my credit to you as being one of the the biggest supporters in my um, In my corner when I was developing the group practices that it is and then you also It's like, you know, you're paying it forward So when people then mm-hmm. come to me, it's here was my experience and we're doing kind of this giving back to help people really wrap your brain around all of the things that go into it, but asking for help and being connected, whether it's, you know, all the ways that you can, a listserv and the committees, um, just taking someone out for coffee and picking their brain about what, what do you do with decor? All the different things that can go into, um, decor is the fun one for me to talk about, (laughs) but you know, informed consent, you got to talk about that too. all those things that go into making it run smoothly. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I think um, just being connected, you know, I will take all the information, I will take all the knowledge, all the guidance, you know, and you're not going to use and implement all of those things, but all of that information can then help you make informed decisions about what feels like the right thing for you to do as a professional, an individual, And I love paying it forward, I think, because I have such a deep sense of gratitude Mm. (laughs) to all of the people who helped me um, that I am always so willing to talk to other folks who are considering group practice. Not that I'm an expert by any means. I've only been doing this for a little over three years. But, um, you know, for I love talking to other professionals who are interested in it and to help maybe ease some of their anxieties or, or fears about it and give them some of that knowledge and pass that along to them and hopefully empower them to be able to take that leap if it's something that feels like a good fit.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But Because in our and I think it's also empowering us, um, and each other to recognize where we, we we probably have we have the skills to put in into the information into into practice. Um, but at least in my I know in my graduate program we we didn't have the business side that was not there that was not. Um, it just that wasn't part of our program. Um, mm-hmm. And so we we are left to once you graduate really seek out, whether it's coaching, mentorship, all of these different kinds of supports. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I try um, I try to incorporate as much of that as I can with my trainees, with my postdoc, with my practicum students, because I want them to feel some sense of confidence in, oh, this isn't completely alien to me, Mm -hmm. you know, I I have a sense of what this could look like or how I could do this insurance isn't completely a different
1: language. I've seen this before. Yeah, I remember what some of this looks like. That's great. I love. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about your training program.
2: So I have a full time postdoc resident um, and we now have that as a rotating position. Every year. So every summer we bring in a new resident. Um, maybe they stay on, which would be great, helps grow our practice. Um, or maybe they go on to do bigger, bigger and better things or, or independent things in a different area. Um, And then we bring in a new person. Um, And so that's been a really great experience so far. I think from an administrative perspective, there are lots of benefits to that. Um, It's allowed us to get group health insurance because we have a full-time employee. Um, It's really helped uh, to address some of the gaps in training with early career professionals in areas of forensics, especially family law. I know I can give someone a lot of that over the course of that year, try to loop them into those committees with PPA and really get them um, involved in that work so it doesn't feel quite so frightening. Hopefully get some more folks interested in those specializations. Um, It's been truly a wonderful experience. We do, um, they do a lot of assessment and we also do um, like a pay what you can for therapy program with our postdocs so right now especially with covid so many people have wait lists it's hard for a lot of folks to get care Um, and so we've been accepting people if they could only pay 40 bucks for a session while they're waiting for their clinician at another practice to get in off their wait list great you know that's something we can do them for for now so um, that's been a huge win for the community Um, and it's been great for our practice, great all around, Um, and then we also do uh, a practicum training program. We accept a number of practicum students focusing in assessment every year who have passion for assessment, really want to learn a lot more about assessment, and they assist and take the lead on a lot of the assessments that come into our practice Um, and then maybe some of them come back eventually as a postdoc or as a staff member years from now
1: that's awesome and how how is that for you professionally and personally um, rewarding i love teaching and i miss it you
2: know i taught as an adjunct instructor for years but it was a lot of time. It's not very financially rewarding. Um, And I hated the hours. It was at night. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be home with my kids. Um, So there were a lot of reasons why over time it just became less feasible for me, even though I'd already prepped all the classes that I was teaching. You know, I had almost no prep work to do, but still the hours and the time um, just were not we're not a great fit for me anymore, but I love to teach. I love to train. Again, I think it's about giving back mm-hmm. and just helping to to give back some of the the things that were given and
1: taught to me. Yeah, and, tra- and training the next generations of of psychologists.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Although it feels weird to say the next generation. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> because I feel like I'm not that far out. You know, no. I'm, 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 we're still technically ECPs, but it yes, is. Yes, we are.
1: Oh, that yeah, that's you know, true.
2: It, they, we are. they really are the next generation and, and the folks who are coming up. And
1: by the time they're ECPs, we won't be anymore. Right. So and I love really, yeah. yeah. I because I love when I think back to my training, one of one of my mentors and, and supervisors you know, drew drew the attention to that was something that he, Dr. Ian Berkey, who was um, at Lehigh's Counseling Center for for many years, and he br- drew attention to that fact that that was a rewarding part of the process to bring in trainees because um, you just get different perspectives and 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 that adds to the to the richness of the services that are offered and the perspectives that everyone then um, can incorporate into practice. So yeah
2: oh gosh they're all so smart yeah. and i feel like i learn so much from them and it keeps me so fresh yes fresh so I, that's
1: a great word mm-hmm.
2: i'd love to to talk about case conceptualization and the research with certain issues that um you know that are coming up through the evaluations it's really exciting for me it's like it's so fun i really enjoy having trainees at the practice and it's not just me i think really our whole staff enjoys it even though i'm primarily the one that supervises them i think everyone appreciates like that energy yes. and hunger yeah It keeps us feeling energized
1: yeah i do love thinking back to when we were in training programs and there is this like there's such an excitement and, and maybe a little naivete but <laughs> But just so much fun of, you know, the promise of, of the future. And, um, that is so much fun that you are able to offer such an amazing training program. And also then, you know, it's a, it's a cycle, keep the cycle going of, of everybody benefiting from everyone. That's wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. I loved, um, you mentioned really kind of a consideration that, that, we may sometimes overlook um, in our profession, and and maybe not, but the work-life balance. You mentioned, you know, I love teaching. I love training. And it just, the way that I was doing it did not fit into my vision for my life of having balance with my family. I didn't want, you know, I'm, I'm kind of imagining, you know, how do you balance family when you're teaching till 10 o'clock at night, right? You can't, It's, it's hard. Um, mm-hmm. So tell, yeah, tell us a little bit about what it's, what are, have you found helpful in your, your experience of running a group, owning and running a group practice and also balancing that with your, with your life and with your family? I'm, I'm, Smiling a I little see bit. That. I see you smiling.
2: Is there balance? I don't know <laughs> <laughs> because it's a lot of work. It is. It is. It <sighs> is. Um, but you know, there. I certainly have things now that I didn't before. Right? Like I am home for my kids every single night for bedtime, and I am able to get my daughter off the bus three days a week, and my husband gets her off the other two days which was something that I remember thinking when she was a baby, you know, this is something I want to be able to do. Mm-hmm. When, when my oldest starts school, I want to be able to get her off the bus. You know, I, I yeah. want to be there, I want to be home. Um, and I, you could, I, well, I'll speak for myself. I would never give up this flexibility. Now right. that I've had it, mm. I can't imagine ever going back. You know, like someone else dictating my schedule, I could never do that again. Right. Um, It is just invaluable to me. And that said, owning a group practice has been a lot, particular, a lot of time, a lot of effort, particularly with COVID, you know and in 2019 the testing was it 2019 i think the testing codes changed for yes. yeah like the CPT codes for testing that was a nightmare like, to mm-hmm. figure out and navigate um and i feel like every year there are new things you know health networks that change their insurance which causes a a massive blow up of all of mm-hmm. how you handle claims for that company Um, You know, those things have happened. COVID had us, you know, doing therapy in our basement while the other one was (laughs) handling the kids upstairs. So it's, it's definitely been a lot, but with that, it's still been a lot with the same amount of flexibility, right? So like this past week, I had family members who wanted to get together in Nevada. And so I said, okay, great. I'm going to arrange my schedule so we can go to Nevada for a few days. And to be able to just make that happen is amazing. Or to be able to say, I want to get my kids off the bus, or I want to be home for bedtime. And it certainly means that as a practice owner, I'm having to pick up things elsewhere Right, like at different times or different places in my calendar, but I have the flexibility to do that, which is so incredible. Um, But I think just like all of us in the field, I've had to work pretty hard at making sure that I maintain that Mm -hmm. and um, am prioritizing time for self care and fun and passion projects things that have like nothing to do with work, whatsoever, (laughs) Um, And that's been really good and healthy. And especially now that um, some of the demands of COVID have started to slow down a bit, I'm able to devote more time and attention to that, which has
1: been great. Yeah, I love that. There's so much in there that you said, that's amazing. Um, But I do love that, that flexibility, that piece of you know, that that is an advantage of owning a group practice or being in practice for yourself independently, um, but also recognizing that it takes intentionality, right? So you must be intentional and move things around or have, have boundaries and navigate them and stick to them so that you are not um, so that when you, when you're feeling close to burnout, you can, <laughs> um, you can, you have something practices in place. And I love that you mentioned passion projects. Please tell us what that means.
2: <laughs> so
1: for me, for you.
2: I love music. So I play music, um, on my piano and I sing, um, I love to travel. So I've been, uh, traveling. I have a travel blog. I have a travel website. It's kidscomewith.com. <laughs> Anyone who wants to I look it up. It. Um, and so I've been doing some travel writing, which I really enjoy. It's a way to help keep me present and, um, and reflecting on my travel, even when I'm not traveling. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I would love to hop on a plane and get to Paris like every other weekend, you know, if yes. I could, I don't have that kind of time. <laughs> um, but, you know, being able to write about it blog about it reflect on it is it's a way to relive that and to keep that like passion very present yeah in my life um so even if i can't take a weekend away or a week away i'm still giving life to that passion of mine mm-hmm. Um, or finding other ways to do, to engage with your, your passions. Like for example, I mentioned, I love music. I also love theater and the arts. And I was actually a theater major in college before I was a psych major. I declared theater first, but I wasn't good enough to do theater professionally. I Mm -hmm. learned that for sure. Um, but, uh, I now, um, do a lot of consultation with the film and TV industry, so working with writers, directors, producers, actors, um, on uh, the portrayal of mental health issues or mental health professionals in the media. Um, And so that's been really fun and a way to tap into this other creative part of my brain, which also helps address issues that I'm passionate passionate about, like mental health literacy mm-hmm. and challenging stigma, um, which, um, which are just close to my heart.
1: Yeah, it's advocacy, right? I love that, that you are incorporating your passion and your interests into your business. It's, it's a, it's a beautiful um, interweaving of the, of them together. I love that. I think
2: one thing that's nice too about being able to weave some of that in um, and to be doing different things as a group practice owner, you know, and having the flexibility to do that. It really does help prevent burnout because if you are struggling in one area, you can delegate that, right? And focus on something else if I didn't want to do any therapy anymore, which I can't imagine because I love it so much, but if I felt that way, I could fill that gap with staff members at our practice and focus more on assessment or more on growing the practice, you know, or if I wanted to take more of a break from assessment, you know, that's something I could delegate or I could give some of the administrative duties that I, that I do on a regular basis and delegate that to somebody. And so I think it gives you this ability to take that step back and looking at all of the things that could potentially be on your plate and to recognize that you need a little bit less in this area or a little bit more over here to feel both fulfilled and to maintain some sense of self-care
1: yeah, absolutely. And and to be again to be proactive about it because I think as with COVID, but it just in addition to COVID in general, there is that pressure sometimes to add more, or add more hours, add more clients because, okay, I'll just do one more, and then and then before you know it, it's a very slippery slope to getting to a place where you're burnt out and you're not doing the best work. And so I love all of these different ideas that you are putting out there for, for us to think about and just kind of tap into almost closing my eyes to tap into the intuitive and creative side in order to make sure that is that has a playground as well
2: i remember one of the um a resource that i used a lot when i was thinking about group practice ownership was uh, the group practice exchange Mm -hmm. it's a podcast it's also a facebook group um, and I, I gained a lot of information from Facebook groups. I have to give a massive plug to like all of the Facebook <laughs> groups mm-hmm. that are out there, uh, because especially in the process of forming a group practice, that collective knowledge was really helpful, especially the group practice exchange. And I, um, I remember Uh, hearing either on the podcast or reading on that Facebook group, that particular one, um, advice about delegating before you need to, Mm. or starting the process of that delegation before you need to, that you, and I've, I've absolutely experienced this, where we hit like this critical mass of, some form of work or phone calls or something that, you know, at the very beginning of owning a group practice, you're doing it all right. You're doing all of the, <laughs> yeah. all of the time yes. and you're going to work a million hours. Um, but at some point, right, there are enough phone calls that it makes sense for you to hire somebody to take some of that on. Yes. But that advice to not wait until you need someone full time to be taking. And then full you don't time.
1: have time to train them, right? <laughs> then you're right.
2: like, when am I gonna train? It's just easier to do it myself.
1: Because yeah, you're but over, so it's are overflowing. Like, yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. Getting it, getting to that a little bit ahead of time. Yeah. So you're not, you know, like we um, at the beginning of our practice, we were hiring someone, I would say like every one or two months, which was good because it was. We didn't have too many people that we had to worry about filling all at one time. Right. Um, so by, you know, the time someone hit one or two months at our practice, their caseload was really as full as they wanted it to be. Um, but we didn't wait until we had a massive wait list mm. to look at hiring the next person.
1: Right.
2: Yeah. Either. You know, like it was almost once someone had, once we had someone committed and had a start date in mind. It's like that's when we started the process of looking for the next person.
1: Yeah. I have to ask this question. What is it like working with your husband? (laughs) Not just working with him. You own a family business. (laughs) I'm just looking at your face. (laughs) What's the Um, secret to keep it all?
2: I, I, we were lucky in that we met at work. So we've always worked together. You know, Mm -hmm. when I, I was 20 when I graduated from college and I met my husband the first day on my job
1: when I was 20 years
2: old. And I'd probably met him before that, like just around town. Um, long story, but anyhow, but so I met (laughs) him my first day on the job and, um, and the two of us shared an office with a few other people. We were all life skills counselors at Valley Youth House. It's a nonprofit in the Lehigh Valley. And, um, and so we became friends and worked together. And we did that for a couple of years. And then at my next job, um, which was doing mobile therapy as an MST therapist, he actually came to work with the same company. So we worked together again. And then, um, so we had like these s- multiple occasions early on in our career wow. over the course of being friends, dating, being engaged, married, where we worked together in these different settings, you know, meanwhile, like getting married, buying a house, having kids. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I would say like, we learned how to work together before we were together, which was yes. a big help. also, I see him at home sometimes more than I see him at work <laughs> so, because, and his office is right behind mine. Like we share a wall, mm-hmm. but I think I've seen him for three minutes total today, you know, and it's almost two in the afternoon. We high five in the hallway yeah. when we. It's like, you know, our affectionate way of saying hello to one another, but you know, it's, you don't want to make out with your husband at work in, in the, the hallway, hallway. <laughs> staff around in the hallway. thats weird. So, so we'll high five, you know, when we see each other in the hallway, sometimes we go on a walk together. If we have a break, um, occasionally we will have some time to actually talk some work things out at work. But really, when I see him at work and we do have a chance to connect, we're almost always talking about like the kids or what we're doing for dinner mm-hmm. or, hey, check out my new XYZ. You know, it's um, it's almost like a, a fun way to catch up. And then when we're at home and our kids have gone to bed and we're both checking our email and <laughs> managing our administrative duties, you know, at least we're doing that together. yeah. Which is nice. So I would say the, the pros for us far outweigh like any issues of like disagreements or, you know, other things that come up. Um, so by far it's been a really positive, wonderful experience. I'm so, I love, I love working with him truly.
1: That's great. So tell us because it can't, I mean, going into a Business venture like this has its risks. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of the hurdles or barriers that you have encountered um, and how you've found your way around them, over them, through them? Sure. I feel like my brain wants to push all of those down <laughs> as soon as
2: you said it. It's like, no, I like I, none, none.
1: It's perfect.
2: Defense mechanisms all at play here, all of them. Um, Uh, sure. I think initially financially, you know, like we didn't have the money to furnish a gigantic space. Mm -hmm. Um, and so for, I think it was six months, maybe I stocked the Facebook marketplace and would pick up a chair here, a piece of artwork here, a couch here, (laughs) a bookshelf here. Um, and before I knew it, my entire basement and garage and half of my first floor were filled like floor to ceiling. So furniture. before you had,
1: before you had the space, before you yes. started paying for a space, you started collecting furniture. I love that. Right.
2: What a great yeah, idea. Just like one piece at yes. a time. Mm-hmm. And I, you love decor. I also do, but I'm bad at it. So my husband has better taste than me. And (laughs) we created a Pinterest page together. Mm. That was like the kind of vibe that we were looking for. So when I was sourcing different pieces, my, my kind of um, way of vetting those pieces, because I don't have great taste was looking to see, Oh, do they match the Pinterest page? Okay. They did then i would check and i we just assumed they were all going to fit together somehow
1: that's awesome
2: and it actually worked out really well um so i would say that was a piece and that's how we handled it um also we had a we had an experience that was felt traumatic at the time of um we had a lease that we were negotiating and a space that we felt very committed to that completely fell through mm three months before we were scheduled to open our doors. And um, and I think the we saw the writing on the wall, you know, like as it was crumbling and we paid attention and we got out. And I'm so glad we did because we would have been pushed out anyway. you know, it's mm. one of those things where we had an agreement, prior to signing or prior to lease negotiations from our proposal and everything in our proposal was, this is five months after we did the proposal was thrown out the window. They said, oh no, just kidding. You know, we want you to sign the lease as we we have it. Throwing out anything from the proposal, any changes, it was really a a bad situation. Um, And, but we could see this coming or just felt bad. Like it felt bad. It felt wrong. It felt like the communication was poor. Um, Everything about it started to feel just like a not good situation. Um, And so we said, you know what? Let's look at some backup plans. What else is out there? And so not feeling like we had to live or die with this space right and that we could be open to something else um gave us some breathing room and a sense of freedom of okay we haven't signed a lease yet so what if we've already paid an attorney two thousand dollars to negotiate this lease if this place isn't going to work this place is not going to work and we have to walk away because in the long run although at the time you know two thousand dollars was a lot of money Mm -hmm. it is a lot of money Um, But in the grand scheme of how much we were paying for a five-year lease, it was not a lot of money. And so it made sense for us to look elsewhere, and we did. And we ended up finding a phenomenal space that we've been in for years. I am so happy where we are. Um, We've even expanded in the same building since covid Um, But being able to abandon something or like feel Uh, like, you know what? I can walk away. I can, I can grieve this decision or Mm -hmm. I can put this on hold. I can recognize that it's not the right time, not the right place. Like I do not have to live or die with this idea, this decision, you know? And I feel like, I don't know if you had that same experience, but with- (laughs) I did. practice ownership. It's like, <laughs> it felt like one of my kids, you know, yeah. in some ways and you're so fiercely
1: protective. Mm. Yeah. Cause and, it's, a, it's your yeah. dream, right? So yeah. I, I, as you're talking, I, I had the very, very similar experience, but I love that. Um, of course, in retrospect, I'm so thankful where I ended up. And it's wonderful to, to recognize that. But in the moment it feels it's devastating, right? I was devastated when my first, you know, building fell through. And I just, uh, of course you just have to grieve. I love that point, but you paid attention. And I, I think that was the point I wanted that was kept sticking out in my mind is it didn't feel right. There was there were there were things that just kept coming up that you said I, we stopped and we paid attention because you can get caught up in such the whirlwind of busyness and doing this and doing that and getting furniture and all the different things that sometimes those um, those messages of stop pause it's not it's not exactly how it's supposed to be can can be can get lost and I love the fact that you said we paid attention. And we, we just kind of paused and we reflected and we said, yep, we're going to have to lose something here, whether it's a, it's our dream or you think it's our dream right now or it's $2,000 or however much. But in the grand scheme of things, you know, you made the right decision and it has it, it has paid off for you and in, in, in expansion and success and what a great. Oh, I love hearing that. Thank you. That's really encouraging. And it's nice. It is nice to hear that it happens to other people. And because you, I think in the moment you feel like, you know, oh, why me? Um, But. But when I really think about it, when I've talked to
2: other group practice owners like yourself or any one of us who've gone through this process or even for independent practice. Yes. Stuff like that always happens, Mm -hmm. right? Like whether it's like someone loses an application that you've sent in, you know, it's like lost in the abyss of somewhere, um, or, um, you know, or, or a property falls through or, you know, things happen here or there. And, um, it's just really part of that process. And then you take the step back and you notice, and you think about how else you could go about it or what what do we need to grieve here? What can we learn from, from this and move forward? Um, And it's just part of it. But I think the, you know, we talked about connection earlier, like leaning on your supports, you know, Mm. I, you and I are part of a a consultation group and like having that support to count on and to know that you can, come to and and gain that support and feedback is so helpful especially during those times and then to celebrate all the successes and the positive things that come with it
1: yeah i love that yes you and i um i think that is absolutely we've talked about how how much that has just been so such a blessing in our in our life personally but professionally (laughs) as well um, and we're very proactive about it, right? Like, so before anything, very, very early on, we established a very regular consultation group. and it has been a saving grace. Um, and I think that that is something also a really important takeaway from today is not only when you are developing the, the practice and moving into either moving from independent to group, or even just starting a practice in general to have support and rely on support, keep it going, find a way to set it up, schedule it, put it in the book and make sure that you are constantly in touch with your support system. Um, yes, absolutely. is amazing.
2: Yeah, I think that's there's so many people who have done this, mm-hmm. you know, and yes. navigated these situations. You know, I think about we, lease negotiation I think I mentioned, you know, mm-hmm. the the things that I learned from negotiating or lease. Like, I feel like that even like that even was such a learning curve yeah. and the things to put in that I wish I would have known, you know, and something yeah knew that people did communicate to me and I was so thankful. And then being able to tell other people, you know, things like put in soundproofing, like Mm -hmm. (laughs) negotiate Mm -hmm. that into your lease because that's a lot of money. Yeah. I love that. You know, certain things like that.
1: Things I wish I would have known that is, that is a, that might be an episode all (laughs) in itself, (laughs) but no, it's, it's helpful to, the, the more that you are. Um, seeking support, just picking people's brains, taking people out for lunch to chat about their experience. You know, it brings up things that you might not have thought about yourself, right? Kind of let's anticipate the hurdles. We have this goal. We have this vision. um, We have what resources do we have? What resources do we need? And then what what hurdles might pop up and how will we navigate them is such an important part of that process. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So tell us where we can find you on um, online. So our website
2: is Um And we have uh, all of our practice information uh, about um, the services we offer and our staff.
1: And so I'm just gonna spell it because I know when I'm driving, listening to a podcast, sometimes I'm like, how, how does that look? So it's o t t o p s y c h dot com. That's correct. Yes, thank you. So thank you so much, Allison, for for having this interview. This was fun. I always, uh, you know, love. Meeting with you, chatting with you. Is there anything else that we didn't, that I didn't ask you that were, we didn't touch on that you feel like I want to make sure I say this before we go?
2: There are a lot of resources out there, so many. I think some, the market is actually flooded with them right now. You know, I feel like since, even since we started forming our practices, like there used to be one or two facebook groups and one or two podcasts and now there are hundreds of podcasts and facebook groups you know to owning and starting a group practice and you don't need to follow all of them yes right like um i think it's great to get out there and to see what there is so you can make an educated decision but then you will find the ones that are the most valuable for you and the other ones can sit in the background and you can know that they're there but i remember there was this point where i felt like i had to listen to every episode of every podcast you know of like five or six it was two and then a few more popped up and i thought oh i need to be listening to this too and this And I got a nugget of information from episode four on this podcast. So I have to listen, Um, you know, but I think there's a, you reach the, like a plateau almost where it levels off. Mm It was like a a bit of a diminishing return for the amount of time. Um, And so I think like there's, there's so much in the groups that you can search for, which is great. And that's a real quick tool Um, but I think just leaning on other people and being connected, staying connected, um, there are so many people who are happy to lend their experience and, and to be a resource and to take full advantage of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think, Um, you mentioned the group practice exchange podcast. I have found that to be helpful as well. And one of the books that helped me the most is called how we built our dream practice, innovation, innovative ideas for building yours. Um, Mm -hmm. and I love that book so much. I read it early on. I probably could go back and read it again. Um, it was recommended to me, to me by a colleague friend and, um, definitely just find what works for you, but don't, don't feel like you constantly need to read every single thing out there, but find people who you connect with and what helped them, right. And take, take those recommendations and suggestions and connections. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you again. This was so exciting. Um, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed it. Okay. All right. Take care. Bye, Allison. Thank you so much.
0: Bye.